On this episode, I'll take you through the dangers and rewards of flying a drone on a moving platform in the ocean, aka on a ship. Also, Joe wants to know how the reciprocity effect will influence his pinhole photography. This episode is supported by Discover the Top Floor. Join us on one of the 2019 photo tours for some amazing photography on the Bohemian Castles tour to Prague and the Czech Republic to Kyrgyzstan with its great landscapes and cultures along the Silk Road or to capture the breathtaking fall colors of Romania and Transylvania in fall. Spend time dedicated entirely to photography and to great cultural experiences. Meet like-minded people, learn from the best and see places that you always wanted to see or that you didn't even know existed. Find out more at discoverthetopfloor.com. That's discoverthetopfloor.com. This is Tips from the Top Floor, episode 859 for March 21st, 2019. Hey, hello and welcome. It's Chris again. Every time I start a show, no, actually, every time I plan an episode for this show, I always go over, like, I have a, I have a list of topics that I could talk about, and then sometimes something just pops in that is current and that's important, and sometimes I just, yeah, go go through other things, and that those things then prompt me to talk about something, and this is what happened. I was editing video of a, a drone video and I remembered that experience of flying that drone on a ship in the Arctic in Norway. And I thought, yeah, that might be interesting to talk about. So, uh, yeah, you remember I was in Norway. I spent two weeks on the on the MS Togo, on the ship. Did lots of photography there. Um, we were on land a lot of times too. But I also did some videography there. And you might remember I bought this little DJI Mavic Air last year in May. Um, by the way, not, an, not a paid endorsement. This is my own uh, drone. I bought it with my own money. Um, and then <laughs> here's the part that makes it very clear that this is not a paid endorsement. Because that little thing broke down last year when I tried to use it in Ireland. It just didn't work. The fan inside was broken. And yeah, it doesn't have a fan because it, it has to do a lot of processing in there. There's like crash avoidance systems in there and stuff. Then that's just, uh, there's a pretty, <laughs> I think a pretty beefy CPU in there. And um, anyway, when I was on, on uh, when I was up in Northern Norway end of last year in Lofoten, that drone was still in repair, which sucked big time. I hated that because up there it's so beautiful um but yeah this time i had it with me and it worked uh, now again <laughs> uh i was on a ship and i didn't fly the drone on land too much and this is where it kind of gets interesting because uh most Drones these days have, uh, and especially the DJI ones, have plenty of like safety functions built in to avoid you crashing the drone and to avoid you losing it. And there's like sensing cameras for obstacle avoidance. And then there's warnings if the wind picks up too high. And there's like a warning if you fly in certain areas, like GPS-based uh, warnings when you're near airports. It has maps built in. And that whole thing 
is fine and good. Uh, but it also has a few things that might get a bit scary when flying on a ship. Now, let's start with the with the first one. Um, there's compass interference. Now, it has a compass. Drones, um, especially the ones from DJI, they have compasses built in because they kind of need to know which orientation they're looking. It has to do with the, I think, with the navigation. And, uh, and that means that a lot of times before you start flying it, you have to do what I would probably call the compass dance, which is like a little calibration move to to calibrate the compass. If 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 you remember the early days of smartphones, you you often had to do this when you want to just use the compass built into the phone. I haven't seen it in a long time, but there's this little screen that says turn the phone around this axis and then turn around it that around another axis. And you need to do this with um, with a drone I have because otherwise it won't fly um, if it loses its calibration. Now, a ship is a big body of metal and that has a good potential of confusing the compass, um, which it did. And I had to do the drone dance and sometimes I had to do it several times. I had to do it once again. Once I had to do it, I think, four times, which... Yeah, was a bit of a bummer, but that one worked out in the end. Uh, second thing that could be a bit of an issue is radio interference, because there's like radio antennas on top of the ship. There's a radar on top of the ship, and those frequencies might interfere with the remote control. So the remote control could potentially lose contact with the drone, and that's something you kind of have to test. Um, and if possible, turn off the sources on the ship and it's not the same for all the drones because different drones have different frequencies um the mavic air is actually a wi-fi based drone and it can use like the 2.4 gigahertz hertz spectrum or the 5 gigahertz spectrum i think there's an automatic mode built in there you can also manually set it and if you check in the app it kind of will tell you the frequencies that are used by something else i really haven't really used that a lot, mostly on automatics, and that seemed to have done the trick. Uh, the third one is line interference. And then I'm, with line, I mean lines, as in physical lines on top of a ship. There's always some something in the air. Um, now, on the Togo, it wasn't as bad as on the Norderlicht, the Norderlicht, the sailboat that I was on several times. Um, of course, being a sailboat has a lot of lines that the drone might run into um, but you still got to be careful and uh, the dji drones have a crash avoidance system um, the the air has a front and back and bottom cameras in addition to the to the main camera it has like two cameras to the front two to the back two to the bottom they will help you avoid obstacles in those directions not sideways though which again if you fly sideways if you circle around something that could come and bite you um, but it, in my case, I, it will avoid lines. I try to fly under the lines and over deck, like to a very close flyover. And the drone balked, but it just stopped in the air and said, nope, not going to go there. Um, would I trust it, the system? Well, mm, in this case, it worked well. I haven't really had any bad experiences. Um, it usually seems to work quite well. Now, here comes the biggie. And that is a return to home. And that 
is a safety system that comes into play if your controller loses connection to the drone. So you have that remote control in your hand and the drone flies. And if you lose connection, if the drone or if, if you run out of battery in the controller or if you, if yeah, if it there's too much interference and it can't communicate with the controller, then it will initiate the return to home mode, which does, I think by default does that the drone will fly straight up to, I think about 100 feet, 30 meters. I think you can configure that. And then it will, at that height, return to the GPS location that it started from, which is the so-called home location. And then it will lower itself down to the ground and land which is so far so good. But remember what a ship is. It's a moving platform. So the home location that you set 10 minutes ago when you started flying is most likely not the home location now when you want to land because ships move. And that is the most scary prospect. Now, some, some DJI drones... Uh, can fly back to where the controller is instead of flying back to where the home location is. But the Mavic Air can't do that. It doesn't do that. It goes back to home. So in case you lose connection with the drone and the ship has moved, you might have to watch the drone go down into the water, which is kind of scary. And then there's the fifth component, um, which is flying in winter in the Arctic can be a bit cold for the batteries. Batteries don't like cold. Batteries do not lose charge when it's cold, but they will not be able to deliver the charge. So I would take all the measurements, all the time bar that the, the app shows you, I would take that with a grain of salt. And when it tells you, I, c- I have 10 minutes left, I just would be up on the on the cautious side here. Now, uh, last but not least, there is a a sixth component. There are probably more, but that's the, the amount that I that I quickly could come up with, and that's the wind speeds. Because drones have a maximum speed, and if the wind is too strong, and if you're in a moving platform, then there's a good chance that you won't see your drone again because it's, it's it it gets blown away. Now, where I flew the drone. Uh, there's by the way, by the way, a video in the show notes that, that you can watch, um, so you can see where I flew the drone. The ship wasn't was either not moving too fast or it was even docked. But then, <laughs> north of Norway in February can be quite windy. We had a couple of storms while up there. So there's the compass interference, the radio interference, the line interference, the physical line interference, the return to home function, the cold batteries, and the wind. And all that together makes flying from a ship a bit of a challenge. So here's what I did to minimize that risk. Let's go over all those individual things. The battery. I made sure to fly with a fresh battery, and I was always on the conservative side. Never, I think, the the default is like 16, 17 minutes on a battery. Um, But I always made sure I never fly longer than like 10 minutes on those batteries. And that worked out well. Could have probably flown longer, but I just wanted to be on the safe side here. Um, compass interference. It's not much you can do about this then, other than trying to calibrate the drone again and again, which was 
very funny to watch on the outside. Oh, doing drone dance again. And at one point, I even had to turn like everything off and on again. Uh, and then it would finally calibrate. So uh, being on a being on a ship, yeah, it certainly doesn't help that. But then in the end, it worked. Uh, the radio, radio frequency interference. Um, I always looked at the frequencies up front. There's like a thing in the user interface that there's like you, you fly this through an app. So you have an app open and you can look at the at the different frequencies. And then I would test the flying just a little bit, hover over the ship. Um, but if in doubt, I would have asked the captain to turn off the radar because I think that's the biggest interference potentially. But I didn't really have to do that. The drone didn't have any radio issues where we, uh, where I flew it. So that worked out fine. Uh, the lines tied over the ship's deck. Yeah, just be careful. Be very careful. Um, again, the drone did, with obstacle avoidance on, it did balk. It stopped before running into the line. I tried a second flight over the ship um, where I turned it off and was very careful to aim into that hole between the line and the top deck which worked but i wouldn't suggest doing that on your first day of flying um and then the return to home function well i never flew while the ship was out at sea and while it was going fast i only flew once uh flew when the ship moved very slowly um pretty much it was only drifting we were in troll fjord which is a big beautiful fjord uh in lofoten and um you can also set the return to home function so the drone would will not just come back home but it will just stay where it is and now just imagine you you lose connection your controller loses connection with the drone the drone will just like hover in the air um, which is, which is good which it is good at doing and that will buy you a few minutes before the battery runs out to try to reestablish maybe restart the controller that kind of stuff um yeah but that that was that was not an issue because i didn't have to initiate the return to home function and by the way even if the return to home function is engaged and it is in the in the in the process of returning home you can interrupt that if you regain control over the drone if you regain the radio connection so that is something that can be interrupted and of course the landing uh you cannot do an automated landing which normally you would press just a button on the remote control and it would do that but in this case yeah it's a full manual landing which again i wouldn't do on the first day of flying but uh, if ship is not too fast that that never posed a big problem for me and uh last but not least wind speeds i <laughs> i only flew in pretty sheltered conditions um especially in troll fjord again beautiful big fjord high walls that helped uh avoid the drone being swept away because there was not a lot of wind in there and the walls are high enough so I could even get some decent aerial footage of the ship without having to expose the the drone to the to the stronger winds that were above the fjord. So in total, I took a bit of a risk, um, which you will always do if you fly over water. But I also tried to try my best to mitigate those risks and then maximize the chance of not losing my toy.
And of course, there's a video with some of the footage online. Just go to tfttf.com slash droneship, tfttf.com slash droneship, and um, enjoy. Hey, and it's time again to say thanks to this week's sponsor, Shaper. This episode is brought to you by Shaper. Take networking from awkward to awesome with Shaper, the number one professional networking platform that uses your experience, interests, and goals to help you make the right connections. Whether you're looking for investors, a co-founder, a new job opportunity, or just inspiring conversations, Shaper can connect you to professionals who truly want to share tips and help. Each day, it suggests 15 people with similar goals and interests for you to meet then all you have to do is take a few minutes to swipe through your daily profiles and set up coffees with the people who stand out if you're professional the shaper app should be installed on your phone so download the app today or check out shaper online at shaper.co that's shaper s-h-a-p-r.co to learn more about shaper download the app and improve the way you network and i thank them for the support Hey, Chris, this is Joe from Maryland. I had a question for you about reciprocity failure. I mostly understand the basics about reciprocity failure in film, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that'll affect a pinhole image, because the exposures are generally a lot longer because of the very small f-stop. So I don't understand how reciprocity failure will uh, come into play for a pinhole image. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Joe. Exposure is... um uh, is, is a product of exposure time and light intensity, right? So you have an amount of light that comes in and an exposure time. And um, if, there, if you have a balance between the two, that will typically give you the same exposure, which means like more light and a shorter time is the same as less light and a longer time, okay? So, so far, so good. <laughs> With a digital camera, that's pretty accurate, right? You can balance the aperture... Uh, which means the light intensity, right? You open and close the hole. So that um, if you balance that with the shutter speed, um, let's say you increase the value, one value and it decrease the other value uh, at the same rate, you'll end up with the same exposure. And uh, you can try this if you shoot in manual exposure and you have your camera set up to like third clicks or one click on the wheel as a third stop. You will just like move the exposure by X clicks and... Uh, the exposure time by x clicks and the same amount of clicks on the aperture in the, the other direction and then you have the same exposure still a different looking picture because a different time different aperture but same exposure same brightness in the picture unless you're shooting film and that's where reciprocity failure comes in because on film exposure isn't quite linear on digital, all I, all I just said is true, mostly, like twice the shutter speed, twice the brightness. On film, which is an analog medium, it's not as linear as digital. Uh, or more precise, film is only linear within a certain exposure time range. And uh, there there is a shortest shutter speed until which a film will be linear. And then if you go too short, you will get non-linearity. But also... If you expose longer. Now, especially with long exposures, that's what's called the reciprocity failure normally. And it comes into play mainly at night when you or when you expose more than like let's say a second. 
So what you would do is with film, uh, if you measure with a light meter and the light meter tells you expose for three seconds and you do that and the exposure comes out way too dark, then that means you have run into reciprocity failure. Because that specific film might only be linear to, let's say, one second, and then you need to factor in some additional time. There's a factor, maybe double the time over that's longer than one second. Um, but that's not for every film. That is different per film. That effect is even there are even some films out there that do not have that effect or that won't show that effect until you expose like 20 seconds. Um, so I can't give you like a, <laughs> a simple recipe. You have to do a bit of research. That's what I will usually do. I will search for the data sheet. Every film should come with a data sheet. It should be online, usually at the manufacturer's website, but then sometimes also uh, <clears throat> there's also experience of others who have had that and there's stuff in forums in there. Uh, now back, Joe, to your question. How does this play out when shooting pinhole cameras? And uh, again, the reciprocity failure is very tightly tied to the exposure time. And pinholes are very small. <laughs> I don't know, F F200 or smaller is not unusual. So they will not let a lot of light in. They will block a lot of the light. So you will have to expose those pinhole photos at longer exposure times. Uh, two seconds, five seconds. It depends on the pinhole size and, uh, again, on the intensity of the light. But um, often longer, way longer than one second. So... I would do a quick search, a quick check on your film's reciprocity failure, how strong it is and how to correct for it. Again, the data sheet is a good source for that. Before you go shooting long exposures with your pinhole camera. And by the way, uh, the German word for the reciprocity error, uh, I like that more. It's Schwarzschild effect. Mr. Schwarzschild was an astronomer and a physicist. Uh, Karl Schwarzschild, and he discovered that effect back in 1899. And last but not least, of course, digital is also not immune from issues with long exposures, but those long exposures will typically increase the digital image noise, which is something that film doesn't experience at all. All right, and that was it for this episode of Tips from the Top Floor. Thank you so much for being here, for being an awesome audience. And uh, if you like this episode, of course, you know the drill. Tell others. Don't go to the to iTunes and don't do the star things because that has been debunked by now. I love getting the stars, but it's mostly for the ego. It's much more important to tell other people about this or buy me a coffee go to tfttf.com slash coffee to find out more oh and let me do something here that i think is long overdue because i mean among you listeners are people who actively and financially support the show every episode 
And of course, I'm talking about the wonderful patrons who chip in a dollar or more per episode. And not only can't I thank you guys enough for doing that, you're awesome. I'm also going to read every active patron's name right now. And I'll try to do this on future episodes as well, because you help this show be there every week. And you should at least have your name here on the show. There's also the patron wall of fame, which is on tfttf.com. But um, here is the list of supporters. A thank you goes to Jeremy Kerwin, Jeffrey Block, Ken Davidson, Roger Needle, Daniel Hertich, Alan Simeonuyu, Marco Binder, Doug Gabbard, Peter Morrow, Alex Crozo, Tom Stewart, Matt Armstead, Stu Silberman, Woody, Trevor Palmer, Ryan Giglio, Thomas Nelson, Dave Smith, David Recht, John Donahue, Ken. Berrien, Steve Sander, Just Me AMR, Alan Bruce Horn, Andrew B, Rob Duba, Chandra, Anthony, Jim Caldwell, Peter M. Spradling, James Trimble, Michael Grunert, uh, Michael Grunert, Scott, Greg, uh, Greg Darmbach, Bartek Boski, Chad Lay Clark, Robert Goshko, Sina Farad, and Kyle Nishioka. Thank you, everyone. You are an amazing bunch of people. And of course, if you're interested in supporting Tips from the Top Floor anyway, go to tfttf.com support. Thank you. Music for the show by Jeff Smith, Silent Partner, Hans-Peter Kagrid, Publishing and Slack Challenges by Release Pixie, Matt, Ravsitter, Armstead, Slack Imitations by Chief Imitations Officer, CIO Rusty Russ. The link to get on the Slack is in the show notes or go to tfttf.com slash Y-Slack, W-H-Y-S-L-A-C-K. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media at Chris, M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other. And happy shooting. <laughs>